0: Let me pray, and we'll get started on a, a good topic today. They're always a good topic, but uh, Lord God, uh, it is an honor to be teaching about your truth today, God. Um, but I know, like like all your truth, without your Spirit, God, it's it's a mystery. It's beyond our understanding. We we hate it without your your help, God. I pray that we would. Come to understanding of whatever you have us today, um, and come to love it, and to embrace it, and to move forward, uh, showing you love through it, in your name we pray, amen. I was going to have a few people come up here to read, but I'm going to just start reading myself, but have your Bibles ready, because we'll have a number of scriptures going through today, um, as you'll see in the handout. Uh, so as Dave has been going through, we have the um, Unsaved Christian, right? This book, if you haven't gotten it yet, there's maybe a few copies in the um, fellowship hall. But he's been talking about many different things. Last week was kind of those um barriers to get through to reach the unsaved Christian. Today is... Another barrier, so to speak, but it's kind of the main barrier that we run into in the church, uh, false assurance. So let me start off. These aren't on your sheet. We're reading a few passages, Matthew 7, 13 through 14. And Jesus talks about entering the kingdom. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate, and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. And then we move to Matthew 13, 18 through 23. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart this is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short; it is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on good ground, this is one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields some a 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. And then Matthew 13, will stay there and go to 24 through 30. And then he presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain then the weeds also appeared the landowner's servants came to him and said master didn't you sow good seed in your field then where did the weeds come from an enemy did this he told them so do you want us to go and pull them up the servants asked him no he said when you pull up the weeds you might also uproot the wheat with them let both grow together until the harvest at harvest time i'll tell the reapers gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. So just listening, reading along with those passages, what do you what do you think of about false assurance there? Just blurt it out.
1: It's not up to me to figure out their assurance. It's up to
0: God. It's up to God. Yeah. Would you say that everyone among us is then assured of salvation? Do we know if everyone is saved among us?
1: No, we don't know. It might no. Be good. We know it might not. that, um, but that's the hard part. But leaving it to him while we feel what we should feel
0: is the hardest part. Yeah. And from the, the chapter 6 in this book, Unsaved Christian, and Sarah Atten's with some questions at the end. One of them asks If someone asked you how you know you are a Christian, what would you say? Someone give me your answer Yeah. I think
1: this is from like navigators type material, but uh, I remember learning um, God promises that like the work of the Holy Spirit in your own life, move, uh, or maybe it's like the Holy Spirit in you and then your. Life.
0: Hmm. Change life, and the spirit in you. Yeah. Yeah, anyone else? Your desire to know more of God. Your desire to know more of God. That's not of you. Yeah. Right? Especially if you had no desire beforehand. And like Ben said, it should be a changed life. And you probably talk about your sinfulness, your lack of desire then your repentance, transformation, and the work of Christ, right? We wouldn't just talk about, oh, I said something at some age. Um, I have this Sproul quote, quote, which I think fits. He says, some profess faith and some persevere until their deaths. Other professing believers later fall away, revealing that they never truly had faith to begin with. That's pretty sobering, right? I was talking to, to Jack about this yesterday and he reminded me like Jeff says almost every week just because you're here doesn't make you a Christian. And I'm sure many of us have seen people who have who've gone that way that they were walking with and then they fell away. And That's hard to deal with. Um, so in Sarah and his book calls these uh, the rites of passage, and I I put a question mark on there. What are these, the rites of passage? And we talked about some barriers last week, but even in the church, I remember, um, I think it was Dale last week, said there's plenty of people we can think of unsaved out there who are saying, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I go to church on Christmas and Easter. What about those who go every single week, and they don't know the gospel? So what are these rites of passage? And, And I didn't put these on the handout, but I thought, Some ones we all might think of, like, we raised him right. Or she asked Jesus into her heart at age nine. Or we had him baptized as a baby. Or she grew up in a Christian school like the rest of our kids. Or he made a public profession of faith in front of the church. Or she leads music every Sunday. Or they send their kids to a Christian school. Or they led youth ministry for years. Does any of these on their own make anyone a Christian? Anything else that you can think of? Any, any of you had a situation with someone you knew and maybe even were close with that walked away? Yeah. You said they're a good person. That's all you're hanging on, right? I mean, it's, it's easy for us to sit there and hope that God will bring them back. And I think Scripture does speak to that. We'll get to that. But um, just because they were doing good things doesn't make them a believer. 1 John 2.19, if you look with me there, don't worry, I'll get some of you reading. i just make sure I don't take too long here. 1 John 2.19 says, they went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. So we're told in Scripture this is, this is going to happen. We, we're we surprised because I think in our heart we get maybe deceived or, you know, they they were able to fake it in some way. And that sounds like, can you fake being a follower of God? But in some ways you can do the right things. John says they went out from us. They weren't of us. If um, so we can have people get ready, one person to read John 13, 21 through 30, Matthew 24, 9 through 13. You can see the verses there. Just grab one and be prepared to read it. Uh, we'll talk about these rites of passage. So the first one I didn't get from um, in Sarah's book. And I'll, I'll write these down so even better following along here. But the first rite of passage is this. We're not surprised by. I'm sorry, this whiteboard is too short for me. False confession. Right? It's that um, nine years old, you, you give your give your heart to God. And not that that can't be genuine. I'm sure you have instances where some of you have that, and it was genuine. Um, but how often can we rely on that, right? Anyone remember their decision to follow Christ and what that was like? You don't have to share, but um, they can be genuine. But we can't just say, oh, that decision saved someone.
1: I think sometimes get up in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. They get
0: caught up in the moment. That's good. It's emotional. And, and emotions. God is a God of our emotions and our thoughts. It can be genuine, but oftentimes it is just, they're not calling into repentance and and things like that. Um, Did anyone grab John 13, 21 through
2: 30?
0: Yeah, go ahead, read aloud. John 13,
2: 21 through 30. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved, Simon Peter. Therefore, uh, Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. So then he had gone out, and he said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Oh, I read for you.
0: That's okay. So the classic example of one who was a monk, And was not of right judas and what are the disciples response there they're they're still confused why any of this is happening he leaves and they're like oh he's going to go prepare for our feast they're surprised he's not of them even though jesus was trying to make it more clear Um, so (laughs) it's no wonder many of us can be surprised when someone's of us and yet not actually of us
1: The people. No way could have been. He's a good guy been like, yeah, yeah. We, get,
0: we get duped into denying it but they could be that sinful we and and let's be real we can be duped into not den- denying that we can be that sinful um we were reading a table talk this week where they said look when any of us sins are betraying Jesus so let's not put ourselves too high and mighty. But but a betrayal that walks away like Judas's can also happen. And then um does anyone have Matthew twenty-four, nine through thirteen? Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation
1: and put you to death, and you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one And many will.
2: I think they say
0: yeah. So when persecution comes, when the fire is, is at your feet, um, and Judas Judas was in a comfortable situation, but being bribed by all sorts of money, and and obviously we know that the devil entered him. Um, but the one who perseveres is the one. Not not just the one who makes a decision. That decision can be genuine. But if it doesn't follow up with the persevering faith, and we'll talk about perseverance of the saints, then we can't uh, fully rely on it. Any other thoughts on Paul's confession? Okay, The second one, and I actually got from another book. Um, I'm going to put a plug for this book. There's a few more copies in the bookstore. Uh, Marks of the Messenger by Max Stiles. It was a discipleship book last year also about evangelism just a little bit more like broad not the same type as in Sarah's book Um, but we'll talk about the chapter in here that I'm going to kind of expand on but he has two others Um, not surprising number two here moralism it's a rite of passage right and then three which we've been touching on a lot I don't I won't won't skip the verses Um, cultural adoption And again, I'm not just looking at those outside the church who come rarely. I'm, I'm talking about those who come regularly. And I'm talking about our own hearts. So if you think about moralism, you're thinking about how many of us can do this. Oh, God, I deserve this. Look what I've done. God, I want this raise because I've been doing such a, you know, having such integrity in my job. Or my child should be saved, Lord, because I taught them everything they should know. Why aren't you giving us this? And many people can take that as their own salvation. I've done this. I've done that. I've taught Sunday school. Anyone, uh, did anyone grab Luke 18, verse 11? Go ahead, Tess. The Pharisee, standing
3: by himself prayed thus: God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this text. You're going to read the 12 too there.
0: I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Yeah. Anyone find themselves to be the Pharisee there? And what does Jesus say about that situation? <laughs> what does he say about the tax collector? He walked away justified because his heart was for the Lord, not the one boasting of their works. Galatians three, ten through eleven. Go ahead, Matthew.
1: For as many are as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue with all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but men man who does shall live by faith.
0: So anyone relying on the law, the law can save But you have to complete every single work. Any bit of sin taints your work of the law. So then what happens, right? You're not saved. Relying on the law, relying on your good works does you nothing. So hopefully that's a heart check for you to to also not look at the person who comes in here and and think, oh, they haven't done such and such. And I'm saying this because I'm prone to it almost every week. God forgive me, but... um, Yeah, reflect on that. The next bit is something I think, especially in a um, political climate we're in now, can really become something of us. Um, Anyone read, anyone grab Philippians 3, 2 through 6. Yeah, go ahead, Nathan. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil orders. Beware of the false
1: circumcision. For we are the true circumcision and no confidence If anyone else mind confidence I of the of Israel, of the of the Hebrew the law, as to Zeal, the of the church, the the law, So what is Paul saying not to rely on?
0: It kind of sounds like moralism, but what else? Heritage, heritage. heritage. We talked about that last week, right? And I say this because um, Max Stiles, in his books, talks about how many of us can be like, "Oh, they they vote Republican and they give to UGM and they are pro-life. Good things." I, I there maybe sometimes a voting Republican might not be good, but <laughs> most of the time, right? I'm not trying to put a political front out there but just because someone does those things and they can still be coming to church but those those cultural adoptions don't save you and to put them above someone else who might have slightly differing ideas i mean you got to check everyone's heart but to put them having some american flag on your house steps versus someone who does it, it it can become that way. It's a very petty thing to put as an analogy, but it can become that way. Um, I kind of reversed order to have the John passage there, but yeah, not everyone who is with us is of us. So why do these things happen? Why do we have these rites of passage? Well, um, and Sarah calls this a system failure, and he blames churches, but let's all blame ourselves too. He, um, It says, many churches have a glitch in the system in pushing for a decision for Christ without true explanation to bring about understanding. And I bring up this Max Stiles book because um, he has this story of this gentleman, Kevin Roos, who, so I'm going to explain the story here. He goes to, I think it was Brown University. It's an Ivy League school, and he says, I want to go research Christians. I want to go figure out what they're like and then kind of blend in and see see what happens here. So he goes to Liberty University, um, pretty good school, especially back when he wrote it, was very conservative and, and Christian. Um, he goes there and puts on a face. And he first semester, he acts like a Christian, he does the right things, and basically people assume he's a Christian. And then at the end of the semester, he writes his book and says, like, I was never a believer. I was never saved. Here's my experience. And now all of his friends there are shocked. And they're not hurt. They're just more, like, surprised. Like, oh, you quoted C.S. Lewis so often. Like, why couldn't you? Why aren't you saved? Like, that's surprising. Um, And Max Stiles says, calls this an assuming of the gospel. Someone walks in our door and they say, oh, I love R.C. Sproul, Tim Keller, John MacArthur, whoever you want to name. I love C.S. Lewis. Oh, okay, sweet deal. You must be saved. We're just assuming it on them. We haven't asked them anything about any of that, right? Anything about why do you love them? What's What's your church background? What's your story? And not that you want to bombard someone who walks in the door, but take your time to get to know them. He says, assuming the gospel is a lazy forgetfulness that we are in a battle. Don't let the fact that you attend a good church or involved with a good Christian organization lull you into thinking you don't have to worry about the gospel. Don't let the fact that you hear a great sermon, praise God, from from Jeff and Dave, lull you into the fact that you're saved and good to go. Um, And I say we are failing at this, and we'll get to this later, but... What are we doing to to not bombard each other, but to probe? How's your walk with the Lord going? Those kind of questions. We talk a lot about discipleship the last few months, and I think that's partially the purpose. What are we doing in that area? Uh, Many churches are failing at this. This is bigger of a system failure, or well, I guess we're all part of the church too. Um, They're not preaching the gospel. We can talk about, I'm sure in here sometimes we might fail at it, but there's plenty of churches out there we've been to we know of. They're not preaching the gospel. They're putting on shows. They're they're trying to get that decision, get that emotional drawing. Um, this is not a bad example. This is a great example. We went to Faith Bible this week for their Harvest Festival um, Halloween night. And it was great. I mean, they had a lot of information stuff there. We were doing quickly art craft things with our girl and like, oh, do you want to read this prayer that's written for this? And so they were doing a great job. Like, I think if an unbeliever went there, they would either feel uncomfortable or definitely be confronted with the gospel. And I praise God for that. But how many places do you walk into, and here's your cup of coffee, and um, here, here's these activities for your kids, and they'll stay here until they're teenagers and then like, maybe join the service. And it's just, I'm not, like I said, that was a great example. I think Valley Bible is doing a great job
2: but there's so much
0: out there that doesn't. And and that's really assuming, assuming, hey, they've been here now for a year. They must be saved. Well, did you talk to them about their salvation? Siles says, discussions of sex, this is related to Kevin Roos' situation. Kevin Roos wrote this in his book. Discussions of sex, creation, science, marriage, taming the tongue, even evangelism, formed the bulk of Roos' experience. Jesus, On the other hand, played a bit part. So this comes back on me in my home group and and, and as a leader there, as a a member. Are we just talking about, hey, let's get our life in order. Let's do the moral things. We're talking about what has God done for us to allow us to do the moral things. Are we getting to the cross, the resurrection, the hope of our salvation? And what that means to us, like like Ben said, and, and I think someone else said, the transformed life. Oh, Barry said it. But wanting to know God more versus just wanting to know God's purpose for me and my next job. And I say these sarcastically, but I've been there. And and you, you, we repent for those things. So what do we do instead? What do we what do we look for in someone? We don't bombard them, right? But we look for marks of genuine conversion. So, feel free to answer this question. How do we tell if someone has genuine fruit? We've answered some ways, but
1: give me some more answers if you want. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, the recognition of sin and confession and repentance. Mm-hmm. Humility. Life transformation. Mm-hmm. And love for the church, love for the saints—not just consumer church. Oh, I didn't like that Sunday service and going to the next one. I've been there too. Oh, God forgive me. Yeah. So what is it not? Kevin Roos um, talked again about his Liberty experience. He says I managed to convince most of these guys that I was a strong, faithful, and evangelical. I rarely had to do anything more active than keep up my Christian signifiers. I went to Bible study. I prayed before meals. I got to church on time. Everyone thought I was a Christian. Which, don't get me wrong, Bible study, you should be in the Word. Praying before your meals, give God thanks for what you have. And show up to church on time, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's loving to be able to converse and commune with your brothers and sisters. But that doesn't save you. It is. It can be a fruit, but you have to look at the heart. Um, could anyone please read Galatians five twenty-two through twenty-five, and then this one's wrong. It's Second Peter one five through eight. Yeah, go ahead
1: for the Galatians. There.
3: But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law.
0: Good. And then Second Peter one five through eight.
3: reason every effort to your faith with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control,
0: and self-control with with And godliness So both of those passages had marks of a believer, right? And I used to think this way of like, oh, we all have different gifts of the spirit, which we do, don't get me wrong. But this Galatians passage is not talking about some are loving, some are kind. Some are patient, some are gentle. Um, I taught a Sunday school a couple years ago, and there's a Greek word for the fruit. The fruit is not a, it's not a plural. It's, It's one fruit with many parts. So if you don't have all of this to some degree, then you don't have the fruit, right? We should see a growing. It doesn't have to be an abundance of joy, but we should see a growing, walking with brothers and sisters. We, and this is more of a self-reflection even anyway. Um, we should see a growing of each and every fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I'm sure all of us have some sanctification in each area, but a true believer should also be making an effort, like Peter says, to put these on, to have these qualities. So first, before we even confront anyone else or judge, because we are supposed to judge rightly their hearts, let's look at ourselves. Uh, can I have someone read Philippians 2, 12 through 13, and then Second Peter 1, 10 through 11?
2: Yeah, go ahead, Nathan.
1: So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, God is in my presence only, but now once more in my absence, sure. work out your salvation here in something. For it is God who is at work in you, both the will and the word,
0: for his good pleasure. Good. And second,
1: Peter. Go ahead, Abby.
3: For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right
0: as long as I
3: am convinced. Stir you will our magnificent. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no,
0: you're fine. There's nothing wrong with reading more Bible. (laughs) So what do we do here, right? I think, especially in a reformed teaching church, perseverance of the saints, these verses are calling us to, to work. Isn't God working? But it says in Philippians, God is working in you, but you have to work with the spirit. You have to examine yourself. And this isn't like a once a month go and do this. These are commands for a daily working it out. I know I never was under the preaching of Bill Farley, but I know a common thing I've heard people say he said was preach the gospel to yourself every day. Remind yourself that you're a sinner, that you need to repent, that Christ took care of your sins and that therefore you're saved and you can walk in goodness. And then how do we examine others? I think the easiest way to do it is to look for the fruit. Um, I will read. Give you great volunteers a break here. Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce fruit, good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. And I think so much of the time we're looking for fruit and we see it and we're convinced. This is not a time for this, but there is a portion of the scriptures that do say, assume, I mean, it says in 1 Corinthians, assume the best of your brothers and sisters. But it also says, and we'll get to that, you know, probe a little bit. So, you know, assume that the fruit you see is genuine, but you should see that fruit continuing. You shouldn't see it rot. Any thoughts on this? Examining ourselves or examining others? Yeah, Kelly. It's helpful to remember like, we're not supposed
3: to be inspector as it comes off the line, that's good, that's good. Since one, it's the nature, like our new nature, right? Like the tree is good, but it is going to tilt the root back at that time. And so, also remembering yes, there are roots to come in, but assuming Yeah. right uh uh-huh. Yeah. So, not, they are coming in Right. We're talking about people that they So, remembering is around good.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is that part that um, they're not just everyone who walks in is could be a wolf. But like I that, like I was saying, there is a point where we assume the best, but ignoring your new person who comes in and not walking with them is uh, <laughs> could lead down a dangerous path. Um, praise God, they're there. They are hearing the gospel. And God can transform their fruit. But we don't just leave them alone and say, well, they're here. They're good. Right? So we get to this last point, which is not a small point. Perseverance of the saints. And let me say that uh, I do believe, and I think it's scriptures throughout. We'll read these passages. And so while I'm talking, um, feel free to choose John 10. Philippians 1, 1 Peter 5, Jude. Jude. Um, God does persevere us, and he will persevere us. And and the person walking in, if they hear the gospel, there's seeds planted for fruit. But my point is to also talk about the things we need to do to make sure we don't assume the gospel. Now let's first talk about that that assurance of perseverance. Um, Can someone read John 10? Twenty-eight. Go ahead, Lizzie.
3: I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand.
0: No one's going to snatch them out of his hand. I mean, <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to fight with God over that. That's that's uh, sounds pretty sure. Okay, Philippians one three through six. And just just go for it.
3: My God, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ.
0: Paul was sure that the good work would be completed. And he's talking to a church. Uh, he wasn't. Walking side by side with one particular person, but he's talking to a church, saying that generally, like the the wheat and the weeds that we talked about in Matthew, many will be held to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. First Peter five verse ten. Go ahead. You're good. Go ahead. The God of all grace, who has called
3: you to his eternal glory, Christ, welcome. Confirm, strengthen, and establish
0: God will confirm. I think if God says something, it's done. We've, we've seen that. We don't need to get into that, but it's pretty assuring. And then Jude 24
1: and 25. Go ahead. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, and great joy. To the only God, our Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and
0: To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, stumbling, present you blameless. blameless. So who's doing the work in those passages? It's not us. It's God. And praise God. So praise God that, yes, we need to probe, but God's taking care of that person that loved one that you watched walk away, we 'll get to that too, how sometimes that's not doesn 't mean forever, right but um, God is doing that work yet perseverance of the saint is a twofold perseverance. We must persevere. We read matthew twenty four it says those who are saved will persevere to the end. Um, I'll read Romans two, six or seven, if someone can grab Galatians and Revelation there. So I'll pull up Romans. Two. He will repay each one according to his works, eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good Seek glory, honor, and immortality. So there's always this dichotomy in kind of reform teaching, which I would call biblical teaching. God is working, God is keeping, but there's also responsibility on our end. So there's a persistence there. We're persevering. Uh, Galatians 6, 6 through 10.
1: From the Spirit, right it says
0: in there do not give up keep working for it and it is a call to not give up but also to those who do not give up God is keeping them from giving up. And so there's that assurance of God is keeping and we're doing. God is keeping our doing. And that's a weird concept for us. We're mm-hmm. only finite beings at this point, right? We have an eternity ahead of us, but it's hard for us to grasp our responsibility and God's sovereignty. Revelation 3, 10 through 12. Go, Go ahead, ahead, Kathy. Because you kept my command first
3: year, I will also keep you Behold, I am coming for thee. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take take your time. He who overcomes, I will give him a pillar and the temple of my God, and you shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new comes down out of height from my God, and I will write him
0: on right hand my name. So that's a letter too, right? It's John writing to churches, a revelation from God himself. God himself is saying, persevere and I will keep you. I mean, so we are told to work, but what a blessing it is that he says, and I'll help you do it. Uh, Robert Godfrey says, the perseverance of the saints stresses that we live as saints perseveringly. We go on living as saints, pursuing holiness and living by faith. But reading those verses and then reading that Godfrey quote, which I think goes with it, what does that say then about trusting in just one time decision? It's an everyday decision. It's not just that one day of your many thousand day life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can't trust in the works to save you, but they do show your salvation, and they will continue. Right? What does that continuance mean? And I don't want to leave not talking about those who may come back. We'll get to that. But um, how does God do this? He provides a way for the perseverance. I know we said He'll persevere you, but I thought these were kind of comforting too. I'll pull up these Corinthians passages. If someone could go to Ephesians one for me. Second Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So your perseverance is coming from the help of the Spirit. And then I'll keep in 2 Corinthians four, sixteen through 5, 5, a little bit longer here. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with human hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to be put on our heavenly dwelling, since when we have taken it off, we will be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. So God prepared us to persevere by the Spirit. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. Can someone read that one? Go ahead.
3: that you who were the first to hold the house might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you have the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation will be in the end, the seal from the promise of the Spirit to the spirit of our of and so we require
0: possession of it to the praise of his Lord. Hmm. We are sealed by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. What a joy that is to think of. <laughs> Our, my daily sin is still sealed. Um, and then Jesus is also helping us. So the always mysterious to us Trinity. I'll read Romans 8, if someone can grab Hebrews and someone can grab 1 John. Romans 8, 31 through 34. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up as for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, he has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. I need all kind of say some more things. Does this, someone has Hebrews 7, 23 through 25. Go ahead, Tess.
3: The former priests were many in numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds the priesthood permanently because he continues for us. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he
1: always lives to make intercession for him.
0: And then 1 John two verse one. Go ahead, Steve. Why are the children? So yeah, the high priests back in Israel's day, right? They would bring forth the sacrifices and atonement toward God daily, regularly. Now, it's not done here on earth. It's done by the one who's already done it. And he's, so we have this spirit to help us and we have Jesus interceding for us. It doesn't sound like we're, if we're truly gods, like we're going to fail. But if this is the case, how do we respond? What is the, work that we are called to in persevering. How do, how do we persevere? Um, even us, I say us, I think we can all have an assurance of salvation. I think there's a feeling in that. and um, I'm more here to probe in our own hearts. Many weeks we talk about those outside, right? Your thoughts go to someone you know who's a cultural Christian. I'm trying to probe in our own hearts. Um, but I think as a Christian, you can't have an assurance. It's not my point today to knock it down. And I think we can see we can have an assurance. Um, but we should respond in ways to continue in that perseverance. Uh, Harry Reader, uh, he died less than 24 hours after Tim Keller this year, just great pastors dying. He wrote this, um, they published it in Table Talk last month. He talked about being having a seared conscience he talked about even as a Christian, we can go through seer- seasons where our conscience is seared or we want nothing to do with God, whether it's days or even a couple of years. Um, he talks about the way we are brought back is through the word of God, is through the spirit and through others. And there's a, a doctrinal teaching of the means of grace. so. You can get into this works and think, God's telling us to work. We must have something to do with this salvation. But if we believe that God is sovereign, then he's also sovereign over the means, the things that keep us in the faith, right? Um, So there's four. I don't have an eraser, but I'll try to fit things on the board here. Uh, what is one way? What's a means of grace? If, and if you need an explanation, a means of grace are things that help us commune with God. Prayer. Prayer. That was the first one. Good. And while we're going through these, feel free to grab a, one of those passages there. Um, what's another one? Forgiveness. The word. The word. Yeah, my second blank there was scripture. Let me make sure. I don't want to mislead you. Yep, scripture. Prayer, number two, scripture. What's another one? The church. third one is preaching and these are all for us individually but my next points will be about the church uh this fourth one is there and i think we all need to grow an understanding of it i know i do um sacraments there's power in them (laughs) they of themselves there's no power in the actual bread and wine we're not going to debate that but um there's power in them. So, prayer. Did anyone uh, grab Jude 20 through 23? Go ahead, Danny.
1: But you, beloved, willing yourself out in your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves of the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, to others, show mercy with fear.
0: So prayer by the spirit, he's commanding us to pray, to keep in it. Uh,
1: Hebrews 4, 12, Ben. Yeah,
0: the word is alive. It's piercing us because it's from God himself. It's from the spirit. Uh, acts 1342 through 43 just go for it Yes, yes, so Paul and Barnabas are preaching, and many are staying with them, and they're urging them right? be under solid preaching, it convicts you, it urges you to keep going, just like communing with God and reading his word does and then first um, Corinthians 10 sixteen through seventeen. Yeah, and even in that, you can hear how there's a participation with Christ. And I, I'm not trying to say we we're eating his body and, and blood, um, but there's a sense that, and there's other scriptures that can attest to this, God is with us in the sacraments. And even just witnessing it, and every week thinking upon Christ by taking communion, thinking, confessing your sin, that's something that's persevering. And then even if you're baptizing so, well, you're watching someone get baptized, you're seeing their confession, their rebirth, their symbol of rebirth and baptism. Or if you were baptized, you're confessing this new birth. So there's power in that. There's something that reminds you of who you are in Christ Jesus It helps you persevere. And then as a church, and Sarah, at the end of the, the chapter six, to combat the system failure i think he says this well he says pastors and churches should invest in quality discipleship efforts making sure that people are not just pressured to a momentous decision but invited into a lifelong journey of becoming more like christ and walking with a body of believers and out of this who continue to hear and understand the gospel and bear fruit in repentance so there's that bearing there's that doing there's that continuing Um, I will do Matthew 28, and I'll also grab the um, last couple. If someone could grab Hebrews 3 and 2 Timothy 1. Matthew 28, how do we then as a church do this? I think we... We know this passage well. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So how do we do this as a church? How do we persevere each other? We can go and make disciples. Someone have Hebrews 3,
2: 12 through 14. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be pardoned by sin to teach we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original convictions firmly to the very end so as a church
0: encourage one another in the truth some passages call that a stronger word exhort one another turn each other toward the truth second Timothy 1 8 through 14
1: go ahead Matthew therefore do not be ashamed of the of our Lord, nor mm-hmm. a man his presence that will share with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us from the Holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which has been to us in Christ Jesus before 9 again. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life into mortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a to the preacher and a and the teacher of the Gentiles. So I haven't been writing these up there, I'm sorry. But the first one
0: was go, make disciples. Second one was exhort one another. The third one was Guard And some of the translations say it a little bit differently. I don't did it say guard in there? Keep guard. Guard the gospel. It means be in the word and don't let someone taint it. And Paul says he's assured that God's going to do this, but guard the gospel. The last one, exercise church discipline. And as a church. Actually, we all have a part in this, believe it or not. Matthew eighteen fifteen through 18, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you and you have one, you have one, your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you, so that he, by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention to even the church, let him be like a Gentile and tax collector to you. Some say... Um, unbeliever in some translations that's not calling the church leaders to do it saying go to your brother and sister and bring the body and here's why so we talk about those who fall away are they coming back we talked about there are seasons of a seared conscience But if we go to first Corinthians Paul talks a little bit about church discipline as well He says, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am am with you in spirit, the power of our Lord Jesus, hand that person over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So the Apostle Paul is telling you, if you exercise church discipline, and really if you do a lot of these things, even to those who seem to have fallen away, we can't judge who or how or when. Or if they will, but we're just called to do this, so that they may be saved. So, takeaway points on this: I need to wrap up. I know we're trying to be timely with these Sunday schools. Don't trust in rites of passage for anyone, even yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself first and to others. We may have gotten those out of order. I'm sorry. Now examine hearts first and also preach the gospel to everyone, including yourself. This hymn, um, In Christ Alone, I thought was, was fitting. It really fits Perseverance of the Saints well. It says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. That's the perseverance of the saints. Why? Till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. So have assurance. Exhort one another. And always preach the gospel to yourself. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for whatever words um, you've given me by your word. Lord, when we read a lot of your word, we know that your word is living and active. May it pierce our hearts. May we go out and do exactly what you command us to in your word so that we may save many and um, keep for, keep those as you are keeping us. In the name we pray, amen.